Hi, everybody, and welcome to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. I'm your host, Eric Stegeman, and I'm the CEO of Trivis. We're one of the largest independent prop tech companies in real estate and provider of custom brokerage technology to medium and large size brokerages in the United States, Canada, and even around the world. Today, I am very pleased to say that we have Philip White. Philip's the president and CEO of Sotheby's International Realty. Now, you probably heard of Sotheby's International Realty before, but just in case you don't know much about them, they span nearly the entire globe, and they're focused, obviously, on luxury real estate, just like the auction house of their namesake. The company recently announced that it did over $150 billion of sales in 2020, which was a 32% increase over 2019. In addition, the network has grown during that time and is now over 1,000 offices in 75 different countries. Philip, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Eric. It's great to be here. Now, Philip, you know, obviously we always do lots of research on, on everybody that we're going to be interviewing for this podcast ahead of time. And I, I found this kind of consistent thing uh, with people that we've interviewed recently. I had Joan Doctor, uh, who's the president of Box and Roach uh, Realtors. And, and, and like you, uh, she also is a real estate lifer, or what I call a real estate lifer. You, you have 40 years of experience in this industry. So let's start with what got you started uh, in becoming a residential real estate agent. Okay, thanks, Eric. So just, you know, the, the short form, you know, answer to that, actually out of college, um, um, I, I, um, I went to the University of Virginia and I have a degree in finance. And so I was hired by a bank in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I'm from, uh, uh, SunTrust Bank is they've now changed their name and it's in it, a and it's a great bank it's a great bank today um, but I had actually studied a bit in London and I got to know the Sotheby's auction house uh, through a, a friend of mine's a friend of mine's sister worked there in the French Impressionist department so I had a real fascination actually with with Sotheby's the auction house um, and then um, I moved back, went to work at the bank. Um, and then later on, I noticed that Sotheby's had started a real estate company. Um, and so I was in New York on some business. Um, I ended up kind of cold calling on the chief operating officer there. And, and I was in his office for about two hours, actually. And he introduced me to the chairman and the president of the real estate company. And one thing led to another um, and they hired me and I moved to New York and got licensed there. And um, we had a little bit different business model than we have today, but we worked with independent real estate companies and I actually handled New Jersey and Fairfield County, which is Southern Connecticut. So, um, you know, we listed and sold, uh, you know, luxury properties in the region. Then I moved to Palm Beach um, and worked in our Palm Beach office, uh, which was, you know, fascinating. Um, and then, you know, my career kind of, you know, moved on from there. Um, but that's how I ended up in real estate. It was uh, a combination of, you know, the Sotheby's brand. And, you know, I, I really saw a great opportunity, uh, you know, that, that Sotheby's could bring to the real estate market. So, that's that's how I ended up in the business, Eric. And and here you are, you know, years later, and and still enjoying it. Uh, it seems like, which is which is great. 
it certainly helps that personally, I think you lead one of the most uh, iconic brands in residential real estate and, and frankly, from the auction house as well. And so, you know, when I travel uh, back when we could travel, but back, you know, when I traveled, we see agents all over the place um, where the brokerage brand has been entirely wiped away by the agent's own marketing, their teams, et cetera. And I use the example a lot of KW, where if you look at KW agents, you, you almost have to, to play Where's Waldo to try to find the KW logo uh, on some of their marketing. But Sotheby's isn't like that at all. And, and if you pay attention to Sotheby's agent branding, it's always focused on Sotheby's. Um, and it seems like there's just inherent value in mentioning the brand name of Sotheby's. Uh, and so how have you been able to engender that value over your tenure at Sotheby's and hold firm to having agents be focused on the brand where other companies like KW have, have had to shy away from it? Well, Eric, that's an excellent question. Um, and, you know, I think when we, you know, we entered into a license agreement with Sotheby's Auction House, what, 17 years ago, 2004. And that's when I kind of rejoined the, you know, the, you know, the, when we were starting it up. And um, so I always thought we had this, you know, great responsibility, um, you know, to obviously grow the business, you know, any business, you've got to grow it. Uh, but I, I was really felt like we had to grow it in a qualitative way. Um, and the worst thing we could do would be to dilute this 270 year old brand name. And so I had, you know, I had a lot, I felt a big, a deep responsibility. Uh, and I shared that with our team as we hired people, you know, to protect the brand standards. Um, because, you know, over the years, I heard Sotheby's is really just an, is a function of the brand name and really the people that work there. So, you know, that's was always in my mind. And so when we started it, you know, we create identity standards. Um, any franchise system has that. But the important thing is, um, is you, you have to, you know, make sure that people comply with those standards. So, um, so I'm, I'm the first to say to people, hey, Sotheby's International Realty may not be right for you. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're not necessarily all things to all people. Um, so, you know, I think part of that is, is that, you know, I wanted the consumer, and this is a pretty big point here, Eric. We, we, when, we when we started this, we decided that our client was going to be the consumer. Um, obviously, you, the real estate agent is in the center of the transaction. I'm certainly not minimizing that, but but we wanted the client, the buyer or the seller of the house, we wanted them to be our client. We wanted to resonate with them. We wanted our marketing to reach them. And the reason that we made that decision, and I felt very strongly about it, is that to the extent that we could, uh, I wanted to deliver to our agents and brokers somewhat of a pre-sold brand. Now, I'm not minimizing the competition out there, which is fierce. But if I could give our agents, and this is what I kept in mind, if I could give them, you know, an edge, you know, where that where 
they go in, make a competitive presentation, and that client is somewhat predisposed to do business with Sotheby's International Realty and, tr and try to make their job a little bit easier. So I think, I think that, you know, coupled with, you know, our diligence on making sure that the brand had consistency. The other thing we thought about uh, is, is really that, again, back, tying it back to the buyer, the seller. And in my mind, I, you know, I just visualized that we wanted them to have the same experience, whether they were buying a house in Sydney, Australia, or Auckland, New Zealand, or Taiwan, or Paris, or London, or Destin, Florida, or Orlando, or Palm Beach. We wanted them to, to see the same real estate sign, the same yard. We wanted them to see the same business card, the same format. Um, so that's hard to do, you know, when you have a, a business that, you know, for us now with over 20,000 sales associates, many of whom are independent contractors, certainly in the United States, that's the case. So, you know, I, I think that to whatever extent we've been successful, I think a lot of it is that consistency with the brand. And, you know, I meet with the auction house, uh, the C I was with the CEO recently, and, you know, they're very, very complimentary of the business that we've developed um, and the brand standards. Um, and so that gives me great pride that, that they have respect for what we've done. And, and you should. Uh, and at the risk of being very effusive about the Sotheby's brand, I've always been very impressed how Sotheby's International Realty has held firm on that. I, I use the example in a presentation that I do. It, it's called uh, Agents Run Amok. And uh, I use examples of headshots and bad advertising that agents have done. Uh, and I have an example from many, many of the franchise brands that are out there. In fact, one of them, uh, the, the agent uses the phone number 416 punch me as their phone number. And I always cringe every time I see that yet I've never cringed at that at anything that I've ever seen from any Sotheby's agent because of those brand standards that I feel like you guys have, have set. But I think there's something else that you alluded to there that's really important I'd like to dig in on. Um, you know, I bought a house last year from a scenic Sotheby's agent uh, and, and her name was Sarah Timmons. And Sarah mentioned to me uh, after we started working together that uh, how rigid the recruiting is at scenic Sotheby's. You, you don't pick up the phone and say, hey, I want to be a scenic Sotheby's agent. They have to call you uh, and, and, and talk to you. And, and then there's many meetings that happen. Um, is, it, is it the brand and the specifics that go along with that that allows a brokerage like scenic Sotheby's to be selective in who they pick? Or is there more to it? Well, I mean, I think there is more to it, Eric. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, and we, and I talk about that um, because with, with, you know, back to like the consumer, as I mentioned, the buyer or the seller, um, you know, and the notion that, you know, at least in my mind, I've tried to, you know, develop that, you know, where the brand is pre-sold a, a certain level of clientele. Um, and, and then therefore, that, that whole process, um, you know, requires exceptional service. So, um, and that's, and I say that because 
that, you know, that's what, you know, people expect from Sotheby's International Realty, a client. They have, they have an expectation that they're going to get exceptional service. Um, that holds true at the auction house as well. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a big responsibility. And I, I talked to the companies before they join us, you know, uh, in my, you know, my affiliate, my franchise business. And, you know, it's kind of one of the first things that I, I talk to them about. And, and I'll, and I say to them, you know, you, there are times where you actually may have to, you know, re, you know, I'm not suggesting rebuilding your company, but you do have to really think about it because this is not just some franchise you're joining. This is, this is something much different. Um, <clears throat> and there may be some agents in your company that, that might not understand it. Um, and, you know, frankly, may never understand it. So, um, and, and so, you know, there may be a times where you just have to part ways. So, so Eric, I mean, I could go through many companies that have joined us and, and they did have to disassociate some agents. Um, and because we do have the requirements that you're talking about um, and not, not just the brand standards, but you know, the, the service and, and many of our companies are very focused on productivity. So per agent productivity. Um, and I think, you know, you can agree with, with me that, you know, the agents that the industry suffers a little bit with, you know, a lot of agents actually not doing, you know, much business. So, you know, that is a drain on a real estate company. Um, so I think many of our companies really are very focused on, you know, you know, not, not only having productive agents, but, but hiring agents like the one you just mentioned in Destin, I think Sarah Timmons is newer to the business, uh, but, you know, they, they want to invest their time and, and Sarah's time into making her as productive as she possibly can. So, um, you know, I think it is part of our DNA. It's part of our culture. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I, I do think it's intentional um, to your question. And, and that, I think, is part of it. I think all too often in many brokerage and, and franchise uh, networks that are out there, it, the brand is almost just there as a thing. Uh, but it, it, it's more about the agents uh, than it is about the overall network and the brand. So cheers to you for holding firm and, and uh, not only the brand standards, but the agent standards uh, and the, the standards of, of practice and, and what's provided to the individual consumer. Because uh, I've never ever heard anything other than the best uh, about Sotheby's. I mean, what, what's interesting about my job, Eric, along these lines is, and it's really quite surprising, um, is that, you know, from time to time, obviously, I'm going to get a letter complaining about something. Um, but, but I get more letters of appreciation about agents than I do complaints, which I think is probably quite unusual. Yeah, that's uh, and that is uh, definitely the case of, of listening, caring, getting back to them. Uh, but it, it's 
it certainly seems that it's rare. And I think anytime you run a business, you're going to have some percentage of people that are unhappy, no matter what or how hard, hard you try to work. Um, you know, and certainly we've experienced that at Tribus. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just doesn't work out for whatever reason, but there's yeah, some people you just can't please is what exactly, you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. So let's talk about the international side of Sotheby's international realty. Uh, as I mentioned before, you guys have a presence around the globe. You're in 75 countries. Uh, and, and frankly, you sell some of the most expensive real estate in the world. Um, you know, if you name a country, it seems like there's always a Sotheby's that's there. And, and frankly, like many Sotheby's agents, uh, I've actually taken my picture in front of a few Sotheby's offices around the world, including uh, the one in Monaco. Uh, I took my picture in front of back when you could travel a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I know you recently opened up in Oman uh, as well. Now, Mm -hmm. obviously, 2020 was a difficult year for lots of folks, but in real estate, it was obviously a standout. How is it done around the world outside of just the United States? Yeah. Uh, Eric, you know, I I talk about our international business. So it's really been a labor of love for us Um, just because, you know, we our first deal. um, I don't I think it was I think it was probably um, Western Canada. It's neck and neck, either France or Western Canada. Um, And so our business model is we sell the rights. We have a long-term agreement. We sell the rights to either a country, part of a country or a province or territory. And so, um, you know, we started that early on. We always, we, we built Sotheby's International Realty to be from the very beginning to be an international company. So it was not an afterthought. Everything we did, we thought about how it would resonate internationally. Um, and there were a lot. There was a lot of extremely heavy lifting in the beginning, uh, particularly when we built our web, our global website, um, and the taxonomy involved, which is location uh, orientation. And you know, we had to go through so many different things. You know, uh, language translation and so forth. So uh, that's why I say it was a labor of love because it was, it's very complex because real estate is practiced differently in all these different countries. Um, and it's practiced differently uh, even in different parts of the same country. Um, so, you know, we, we had to go through a, a bit of a learning curve ourselves. Um, but at the, in the same time, we built this really strong global referral system. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of, of what we've accomplished. So, um, but in some ways, what's interesting is we're just kind of getting started with it um, because now we have this great opportunity to help our local companies, wherever they may be. We're, we're now in a, a point where we can help them grow. Many of them are very, you know, significant already. Um, and then, we've never had as strong of an international, what we call servicing team. So we've, we've broken the world into three regions, uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and India. Um, Cala, which is the Caribbean, Latin America, Caribbean, Bahamas, Bermuda. Uh, and then we have, you know, Asia, the Pacific uh, Rim, APAC, as we call it. And we have a team dedicated to those affiliated companies in each of the three regions. So in country, if you will. And we have a designated marketing director, a head of region, 
um, and, and additional support people uh, for each of the three regions. So that keeps us very close to the to the, our companies there. You know, I think the other difference, Eric, and this is probably not something everybody realizes, but most other real estate companies, you know, operate what they call a sub-franchise model. So um, the companies are free to sell offices to, to whomever they choose. So back to your standards question, um, we actually don't allow that. Um, it's it's a, what we call a direct franchise model. So we actually vet every owner of every office that's in our system. Um, you know, so, and I even, I meet, I've met every everybody. Um, so um, I, with one asterisk there, there's some people I haven't met in person because of COVID last year. But prior to that, I'd met every owner of every company internationally. Um, so, you know, I think that, that you know, that business and, and our, our referral business globally was up 42% year over year in 2020. And that's a function of having a thousand offices literally in the best locations around the world. You happen to have been in Monaco and that's obviously, you know, uh, a very unique uh, real estate environment as well. So um, that's a, you know, certainly a, a landmark office for us right there. And so, you know, I, I mean, obviously, let's talk about COVID for just a second. You mentioned that you hadn't had a chance to meet some folks that, that came into the network uh, because of that. Um, but, you know, obviously, markets like Italy, Spain, France, uh, these were markets where you have operations in and, and were hurt yeah. extensively and have not recovered in the real estate market nearly as well or as fast as what the United States has. Um, do you think that when we get back to traveling again, do you think that we'll see recovery in those markets, particularly in the luxury, you know, second, third, fourth home buyer market? Yeah, you know, Eric, I mean, I, you know, like we did do, um, you know, I'm not sure if it was a record or not, but we did, our company in France did, uh, 2020 did do a billion dollars in, uh, in euros. So that's, about 1.2 billion in sales volume um, out of their 54 offices uh, in 2020, uh, 1.2 billion USD. So, and Italy, you know, given the wonderful markets that they're in, um, there was, you know, a similar situation where people were, you know, buying different properties, you know, uh, with space and the amenities that we were looking for. So, so, you know, it's, it was not across the board, um, you know, slower to, to bounce back uh, than the U.S. because we did have certainly some markets that, you know, outperformed, um, uh, you know, and even in Sydney, um, we did a billion dollars in Australia, you know, Australian dollars there in 2020 with some very high price point uh, houses. But, you know, I do, ex I know your question here is, is what the expectation is, um, you know, going forward with, you know, post-vaccine, you know, travel coming back to some degree of normalcy. Um, and I, I think, I think we're already starting to see it, um, you know, with the year starting off strong, um, even international, I'm, I'm, I see our international numbers are up pretty significantly through February year over year. Um, so 
I mean, I do see it, and I, I I do expect that international travel back to the U.S. will be uh, a positive, certainly in the real estate market as well. Um, I think cities like New York will, you know, it, I expect that there'll be, you know, continued, um, you know, activity. And, and, and speaking of New York, you know, it's um, even though yet last year was a pretty tough year, I started seeing the market kind of healing when the vaccine was introduced. And then the last eight weeks in a row, there've been 30 deals or more over $4 million in uh, New York City. So that's coming back. Um, and I think you'll start to see more international uh, buyers coming back into the city as well. That was actually uh, exactly what my next question was. So thanks for leading into it. I, I was just gonna ask how, how you're seeing New York uh, do. So that's, that's good to see yeah. that it's coming back there. Yeah, and then the, in adding to that, Eric, is that in the last week, the week ended uh, March 22nd, there were 47 contracts signed in that four plus million dollar category. And that and the eight week streak uh, is a streak not seen since 2006. Do you pre, think it's financial crisis? Do, do you think that that strength is part of because, you know, that there were deals in the high end space and finally, since things are opening back up, people are taking advantage of it? Or are, is this the same kind of process that you're seeing on those transactions where it's competitive bidding against each other and running the price up? I, you know, I think what it is a little bit is there's some pent up demand here um, because the market was, you know, you know, was kind of shut down for a good period of time last year. So I think, I think we're seeing some pent up demand. Um, and I'm, and I think it is people changing, you know, where they live. I mean, just within the city, you know, buying a different type of property, maybe with a patio or more outdoor space. And there's been a resurgence of, of townhome sales as a result mm. also. Interesting. Um... So let's turn the attention to the opposite market for just a second. Obviously, there was a flight to the, the suburbs. You know, obviously, in New York, you had everybody going out to the Hamptons or, or uh, upstate and, and buying properties. And that tended to be the case all over where people went away from big cities. Uh, so, you know, obviously, the luxury suburb markets have done extraordinarily well uh, over the past year. But do you think they'll still be as strong in 2022? Or do you think that was demand that moved ahead? And will, it will end up slowing down. Well, Eric, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have a crystal ball um, in terms of what, you know, the future will bring. But, you know, my sense is that, you know, the market has, has was, you know, very strong, you know, particularly the third and fourth quarters of 2020. Um, but, you know, I had a very strong first quarter of 2020. Um, it was up 20% from the first quarter of 2019. And part of that was the momentum that we had in late the latter part of 19 going into 20. So as we think about it, you know, COVID kind of interrupted some momentum that we even had before COVID. Um, so um, yes, you know, no doubt people, you know, took this opportunity working from home to buy another property that, you know, accommodated their needs uh, for the time. Um, but, 
you know, I, I think the, this year's gotten off to a, a, a very significant, strong start. So um, I'm expecting it to continue. Um, and, um, you know, I think the only thing that would, would hold it back, you know, is the, you know, challenge with inventory. Um, and so, you know, with, and, and part of the inventory challenge is just the fact that properties are being sold in such a short period of time. So, um, you know, the months of supply um, is going down just because of the, you know, the absorption rate, the demand is so high. I have a friend that studies this and uh, in some markets around the country that he's seen uh, supply that's under two weeks, uh, yeah. which is just unheard of uh, before. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but hearing from somebody like yourself that, that has felt this for 40 years, I always feel like there's an intuition there um, mm -hmm. that, you know, you bring to the table with that level of experience. So uh, thanks for your thoughts there. Um, let's turn our attention to us, uh, Compass for just a second. So yeah. obviously I know Compass is a big competitor, uh, in many of your markets. You know, we were just talking about New York and, and the suburbs of New York. Obviously that's a, a big market and their home base for them. Uh, and I know that some of your franchisees have lost big, big agents to them, uh, in the past few years where Compass has stepped in and said, Hey, we'll write you a check for half a million dollars. If you come over and join us. Um, so I, I'm interested to get your take on how you view Compass uh, as a competitor in, in your space and what you think their short and long-term prospects are. Yeah, you know, I think, Eric, I mean, I, I'm always, we're always open to, you know, honest competition in the industry and, and you know, our, our brand takes that seriously. You know, I have a little bit different view on it, um, which is, you know, I think Compass, in a way, um, has made me uh, has made me better. Um, you know, because it's it's made me better in terms of you know retaining our agents and and rec and recruiting other agents. We have very high retention rate uh, at Sotheby's International Realty, um, particularly with our forty five company owned offices. It's it it's you know it's it's a very high retention rate. Um, for our top producers, which I'm, I'm very proud of. Um, so, you know, I, again, I, I think competition, if it's honest and open, you know, makes you better. Um, and I think, you know, we've gotten at Sotheby's International Realty even more skillful at retaining our top brokers and recruiting others. Yes, no doubt, we've lost some agents to Compass. We've recruited some agents from Compass and we have agents that have come back to us uh, from Compass. Uh, one most recently, Simon Beardmore in our Brentwood office in Los Angeles. Um, so, you know, we, we do have those positive stories. Um, and, you know, when I think about, you know, something like that, I, I do reflect back on what we talked about earlier, which is our global footprint and our referral network. Um, you know, that's pretty hard to replicate uh, 75 countries, you know, with with partners in all those countries that are opening offices like the one you mentioned, which is being opened. Really, we're announcing it, um, you know, this week in Oman, in Muscat, the capital of Oman. So um, so that, you know, that's that's not easy for somebody to, you know, compete with. Um, 
that kind of scale and size and, and the quality of the companies that are part of Sotheby's International Realty. So that's the way I view it. Um, let me let me ask you one more question kind of about that. And, and frankly, since we've been recording this, this podcast here uh, on March 31st, I actually got a flash across my computer that Compass's IPO and the, the amount of money that they were uh, planning on raising just got dropped by about 30% due to a lack of demand. Uh, and mm. I know Compass has been... Uh, you know, there's, they're, they've been trying to pitch this concept that they're really a tech company and they're not a real estate company. They're a tech company that happens to sell real estate, uh, not vice versa. And so from that perspective, you know, as the leader of Sotheby's uh, and that competes with them, you know, do you think there's any real estate brokerage company that's out there that's a tech company? Or do you think that it's just th that kind of statement that they've been making for the past few years is more or less a... a, 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 a statement to raise money at a tech company valuation? Well, you know, Eric, I mean, I think to answer your question, I mean, all of the big companies have, you know, have technology. Um, and so I don't, you know, you know, just competing on that basis, um, I don't think is going to get you that far, particularly in the luxury space. I mean, Sotheby's International Realty has been very innovative. I think one of the reasons we were successful in 2020 is we had we had gone to a virtual op options like 10 years ago, um, you know, 3D uh, images of houses, uh, augmented reality. I mean, even we were innovative with the introduction of video for properties uh, over 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, we may not sell our story there as well as others, but um, I think, you know, if you talk to our agents, they're going to say that those things help them get through 2020 in a, you know, significant way. With respect to, you know, the technology with the other, other companies, you know, I can't speak to it specifically. Uh, but I do know one thing, Eric, about the luxury market. And, you know, technology is one thing, but, you know, buyers and sellers of, of expensive properties you know, they want to deal directly with somebody, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to just, you know, use an app, um, you know, to buy a $10 million house. I mean, they, you know, they're, they're going to want to have a personal relationship with that agent. I mean, these are big purchases that require a lot of work, um, you know, and, you know, technology is not going to sell that house. Now, it's going to help them look for properties. Um, and, you know, they can rule things out, uh, but, you know, the whole buying and selling process, which we'd like to make, you know, a lot simpler and we're working on that, but, uh, still requires a lot of, you know, human touch is what I'm getting at. And, and I've said for a long time, um, you know, this is my 21st year in this business and, and obviously I'm now the CEO of a, a large technology company in real estate. But I've long said that technology is there in the real estate world to bring a personal touch uh, to an impersonal medium by connecting with the realtor. In fact, my 
my best friend growing up, her dad was the COO of Edward Jones. And I've always had this concept uh, in real estate that it should be more like Edward Jones and less like E-Trade. Uh, and there's always an opportunity for E-Trade to exist. Uh, and there will always be demand for companies like E-Trade. But in real estate, um, the ones that are successful over the long run and that can command higher price points uh, are the ones that have a, that nature of Edward Jones where they sit down and meet with you. And I think um, you know what Sotheby's brings to the table is a lot, light, a lot like that. But I have to yeah. ask you at least one or two tech questions here, and you kind of alluded yeah. to them. Um, so, you know, obviously Sotheby's, you mentioned, uh, and I actually pre-wrote a question about this, about, uh, you know, your jump into video and virtual tours. And, and I know that you were on the forefront of AR uh, with mm -hmm. your collaboration with Rumi on um, the Curate app. So, you know, how, how much do you think those helped achieve your goals during COVID and connecting with consumers without them even buying a house, like, or without them even seeing the house before buying it, like I did. Yeah, Eric, I mean, I think, I think what's interesting, and I just, this is kind of noteworthy because, you know, a lot of the nicest places in the world are hard to get to. Um, and I'm not suggesting they're overly hard to get to, but, you know, parts of the Rocky Mountains, you know, they may not have an airport nearby. Parts of the Caribbean, you know, that may may not have direct flights. So I, what I'm getting at is, is many of our agents and brokers have had to kind of prepare themselves to work somewhat virtually even before the pandemic. I'll give you an example. Uh, we have a great company in the Dominican Republic um, in the Caso de Campo area. Uh, Sergio Locke is his is the owner's name, um, and he he even before COVID uh, required all of his agents to do a 3D um, Matterport uh, scan of each of their listings. So uh, a buyer from wherever uh, could actually kind of almost make an offer sight unseen. Um, I'm not you know, advocating that because I think people should go look at the properties before they buy them. But that technology lends itself to that. Um, so I think that we were well prepared there. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Curate, which is augmented reality, which helps you stage a house um, virtually. And that was also very helpful. And we saw you know, big adoption rates during COVID for both of these, um, you know, technology applications. So, um, and then I, I really can't under, you know, score enough, you know, just, you know, good photography, which we've always advocated, um, high resolution photog photography, and then video. So we were very early in um, adopting video, having it be available on our website, and it's one of the reasons we're, you know, one of the highest viewed real estate companies on, on YouTube and Instagram. So, uh, you know, we're running out of time here and I, I have 10 more questions I wish I could ask you, but I'm going to uh, distill it down to a couple more uh, that are here. So, you know, as many listeners know uh, to the show and, and Philip, most of our listeners are either leaders of brokerage companies or, or real estate technology companies uh, or staff members of brokerage companies. And so, 
many of the listeners know, I regular quote, my friend, Steve Murray, uh, provided this stat a couple of years ago. And he said that in a good year, the average brokerage brokerage makes just a 3% profit margin. And, and I've joked a lot and said that there's a reason why, uh, they're called brokers. Um, mm-hmm. but at last review, you know, Sotheby's has kind of bucked that trend. Sotheby's international realty has bucked that trend. And, you know, last I heard Sotheby's is really the standout in terms of profitability. So to kind of sum up everything we've talked about, um, do you think it's the brand that brings that profitability? Do you think it's the consumer? Do you think it's the luxury buyer Um, or or the combination of everything that you guys bring to the table that helps you command um, that level of profitability that's above what the average brokerage makes? Uh, you know, in my view, it, it's it's a number of things. You know, certainly the brand. I'm gonna, you know, say, you know, and I, and I I think we just have a very strong culture at Sotheby's International Realty. Um, but we've been very fortunate, Eric, to you know bring into our, you know, our our overall company, you know, some of the best real estate operators in in the world, um, and. You know they know how to run a business, um, and you know, and we're very careful about you know the operators that become part of the network because it's going to be a long-term relationship. And so, you know, I have great respect, you know, for the operators of our you know franchise companies, um, and you know, and our company-owned business. Uh, as well, the 45 offices and 12 markets. But I think if you, <clears throat> you know, if you look at the recent real trends, you mentioned Steve Murray, if you, if you look at the recent real trends, 500 uh, top brokerages, Sotheby's International Realty has a, a pretty significant number in the top 100. So, you know, I'm very proud of that, that, that we've been able to grow the business, but like I said earlier, we've been able to scale it, but we've been able to protect the brand at the same time. Um, and you know, one of our chief metrics that we look at is our average sales price, which is, you know, I, I can't really say the exact number, but you know, it's it's one of the highest of, of any. I mean, it's the highest of any uh, national uh, real estate uh, brand uh, that is in the franchise space. Certainly. Well, uh, we're out of time here, but I'd always ask all of my guests one last question. Uh, And I ask everybody the same question because I love getting their answer uh, and kind of comparing everybody's answers to this question. And that last question that I always ask is, if you could change anything, you know, looking back at your 40-year career in this business, if you could change any one thing about real estate, either in the past or at present, what would that one thing be? I mean, I think the one thing, if I had to go back in and, and change something, um, you know, that's a pretty tough question for me, um, you know, but I, I think my immediate answer would be, you know, it would, it would be something along the lines of, you know, helping new real estate agents become successful in a you know, in a, you know, shorter period of time, 
um, help helping them understand how to get in the business. Uh, you know, I try to do as good a job as we can, you know, mentoring everyone uh, and providing that type of level of training. Um, so, I mean, I, I think if, if the industry could have done, I mean, they've done a good job of training agents, but I think, and I mentioned this earlier, um, I, think, I think one thing that made, you know, diminish the, in the eyes of the consumer, the real estate industry, is that there's still, even though there are over a million realtors in the country, you know, it's, 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 it's the 80-20 rule. And, um, you know, I, I think if I could change something, I would, I would, I would create higher standards, of, you know, for, for agents. Um, and so that, you know, we'd have, you know, we'd be viewed, as, and I, I'm not suggesting we're not viewed this way, but in a in a as professional a way as possible. Um, I, I think if I had to ch change something, it would be something along those lines. You know, really focus on focusing on per person productivity, making sure the industry you know maintained a, a threshold level uh, for an agent. You know, Philip, you, you're now at least the third person from the top of my memory here, the third CEO of, of an organization, uh, top level organization that has mentioned the exact same thing uh, about that. And, and some have mentioned mentorships as being required um, or apprenticeships um, or other you know, requirements of, of getting in there uh, to make sure that the standards uh, are held up to. So maybe there's something there. Maybe, maybe we need to, to do a, a tribus roundtable of CEO executives uh, yeah. of, of companies and say, Hey, how can we, how can we raise the bar, uh, in this space? Yeah. Cause it seems like everybody's on board. So, well, Philip, yeah. thank you so much for joining me today. It's absolutely been my pleasure to have you on the show. Now you've been listening to Phil White. He's the president and CEO of Sotheby's International Realty. You've been listening to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. Make sure you subscribe to our show so you can get this episode as well as every other episode we do in the future, every single Monday, delivered right to your device. Thanks, everybody, for listening.